0: Well, they're coming down, I want to just say it's, uh, it, the body of Christ is a cool thing. And so it's cool when, when you look down here on the front row and you got two high school boys holding little kids. I love that. I think that, that makes my day. And it helps us parents out, so thank you boys. Uh, but I think that's a cool thing, right? Because those kids are going to grow up looking up to you guys. And I think that's a wonderful, wonderful thing for y'all to do. All right, Revelation chapter 8 um, We're covering a lot of scripture today, so if you would, please stand as we honor the reading of God's word, and uh, we're going to read one verse this morning, uh, instead of reading all of it. Revelation chapter eight, we're going to read verse 13. It says, then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the angels are about to blow. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what it teaches us. I pray today that as we continue on in this book, uh, that it would do two things to us today. One, that for believers, uh, it would uh, anchor us in you. It would remind us that if we're sealed, that if we're saved, that, that although life on this earth is difficult, we ultimately won't face the worst thing, which is your wrath and your judgment. Uh, I pray that it would spur us on as believers to evangelism, to tell others about you, Uh, And I pray that today as we look at this section of scripture, that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that that this section of scripture would be a a tornado siren for their soul. Uh, That they would realize the danger that they're in and that they would find shelter uh, and mercy at the foot of the cross today. Thank you for all that you've given us and it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As I said, we're going to be covering a a lot of ground today. Um, I read a really helpful illustration by uh, Sam Storms that kind of helped me understand the different uh, judgments that we see in the book of Revelation. So I, I want you to imagine for a second that, that you uh, are going to, to a sporting event uh, of your choice, right? Whether it's college football, NFL, uh, if you're that one person that watches the WNBA, that event. Um, Yeah, I went there, right? Ah. Uh, NBA, whatever it is, okay? Whatever it is, right? So for me, I only have one team I religiously follow and care about, and that's the Cowboys, all right? So, oh, Jer Bear calls me up one day, and he's like, hey, Byron, listen, you know, you've been a very faithful fan. We appreciate that, right? Uh, We're terrible. Uh, It's going on 30 years now. That stings to say that too, because then I start realizing I'm getting older when I can go, ah, it's been almost 30 years since we've won anything. But you've been faithful, so we really appreciate that. So I'll tell you what, Byron, I want you to, uh, come to come to the first home game this year. And, and as a present to you, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you bring video cameras and set them up anywhere you want in the stadium, right? Put them, put them anywhere. Just, just put them throughout the stadium. They're all yours. Uh, and you can film the game. You can take it home. And you can just kind of remember your time at the game. And so that's exactly what I do, right? I, I show up, and I take a video camera, and I put one up on the 50-yard line about 10 rows up. I put a video camera in each end zone. Uh, I put a video camera in the sky cam, right? That one that's kinda hanging above the the players as they're playing. Uh, And then finally, since you know, Jerry's showing his appreciation, I take one up into the box because I'm gonna hang out with Jerry during the game. Uh, and so I do that, and and I I film the game, I have a great time, and then I go home, and so then after I go home, uh, I've got all my tapes, if you were, from the game, and I decide to go back, and I decide to watch the the footage from the game, and so I I start with the the footage from the 50-yard line, and I watch it, it's a great game, and I enjoy it, pop the tape out, and then I put in my footage from the end zone, and watch it, and it's great, I pop it out, put the sky cam in, and then you know finally I put in the last tape from the press box, Now am I watching the same game? I am, right? I'm watching the same game, I'm just watching that game from different angles, from different points of view. And and that's exactly what is happening in the book of Revelation. This is exactly the same thing. So remember, the book is written to the seven churches in Asia Minor and it describes three major, or or seven, uh, excuse me, three major judgments of seven. Right, you have seal, trumpet, and bowl. And these judgments describe the ongoing conflicts between the kingdom of Christ and Satan's kingdom that occurs between the first and the second comings of Jesus, all right? So remember, Jesus has already showed up, Jesus has already won, right? We talked about this in New Members today. This is not Star Wars where we have good versus evil fighting one another. Good has already won the game. It's over. We're waiting for Jesus just to come back and consummate this whole thing. But Jesus has already won, right? And so, what we see in the Book of Revelation is Satan doing the most insane thing he can, which he is trying to think that he can change the outcome, but he can't, right? So Jesus has already won. And so, as we read the Book of Revelation, what we see is at time John may focus on a, on a particular event. Or there's other times that John may focus on a specific person, but it's still the same game from different angles. One commentator puts it this way He says that John describes the commonplaces of church history spanning the time between the two comings of Christ. By commonplaces, I mean the conditions, circumstances, situations, environments in which people find themselves between the two comings of Christ. As he finishes one section, concluding with the second coming of Christ and the end of history, he circles back around to start all over again at the start of the game. Once he concludes yet another journey, he circles around and recapitulates the same period of time from yet another vantage point, right? So, so the term for this is what I just read. It's recapitulation. Recapitulation is, is a musical term. Essentially what it means is that in a composition you have certain themes that were throughout that, that musical composition and at the end it goes back and it reiterates those themes, it recapitulates those themes in the composition. So according to the theory of recapitulation or the principle, let's put it that way, it's not a theory, the principle of recapitulation, the seven judgments, the seven seal judgments together with the seven trumpet and bowl judgments are descriptive of events throughout the course of history between the two comings of Christ, all right? Again, Sam Storms puts it this way. He said, Revelation is not, merely, is not concerned with merely events at the close of history, immediately preceding the second coming of Christ. Rather, there are multiple sections in the book, each of which recapitulates the other. That is to say, each of which begins with the first coming of Christ and concludes with the second coming of Christ and the end of history, Each of these sections provides a series of progressively parallel visions that increase in their scope and intensity as they draw near to the consummation. So the seal judgments that we just looked at and we finish up today right? We see Jesus ascending to the right hand of the Father. We just sang about it, right? Is anybody worthy to take the scroll of human history to break its seals, to read out its contents? And Jesus can, right? The Lion of Judah, the Root of David, the Lamb who was slain, he comes up, he takes the scroll, right? He's ascended to the right hand of God, right? He begins to break each seal, and with each seal that's broken, we get a judgment. So we saw the four horsemen which are one judgment, four of them, one judgment. They're roaming the earth as we speak, causing chaos and havoc and ultimately death. We saw those in the fifth seal who were martyred as a result of these horsemen in heaven waiting for Jesus to return. We saw the return of Jesus with the breaking of the sixth seal where Jesus comes back and those who do not know him are begging for mountains to fall on them because it's a terrible day of wrath and judgment. Followed by what we looked at last week, which was an interlude, where we see the saved, being, uh, the, the saved being sealed during that time frame before Jesus returns. What we said is we're living in that right now, right? That Jesus is calling people from all tribes and nations and languages to be saved and sealed so that on the day of wrath they can stand. And then tonight, today we're going to ultimately look at, at the seventh seal, And we're about to read about that. And after the seventh seal, we're set up for the judgments that come as a result of the trumpet. So look with me, if you will, in Revelation chapter 8. Let's start in verse 1. John says, "When When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth, and there were peals of thunder, rumbling, flashes of lightning, and earthquake. So after the interlude we looked at last week, the seventh seal is broken, broken, And it says that there's silence in heaven. Now, some scholars will say that this means that there was no content in the seventh uh, seal, that it's just empty and that there's nothing going on there, but I don't really think that's what's happening here. See, throughout the Old Testament, remember, we we, we understand the the old in light of the new, right? So throughout the Old Testament, we are often shown that silence was a form of divine judgment. In Psalm 31, 17, it says, O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you, let the wicked be put to shame, let them go silently to Sheol. Psalm 115, 17, the dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. Isaiah 47, five, sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called the mistress of kingdoms. Other verses include Lamentations 2, 10 through 11, Amos 8, two through three, and Habakkuk two, twenty. But to be even more specific, it means that God has heard the prayers of the martyrs that were prayed in chapter 6, verse 10. So the smoke of incense that's rising before God points to a positive answer to the martyr's request, right? Remember what did the martyrs say? How long, O oh Lord? How long is this going to keep happening? How long will you tarry? How long will you delay? And what we see in, cha- in, the, in breaking of the six seal is that God answers right now, And then in the seventh seal, we see that Jesus has brought, he's came and returned and he's brought history to an end and heaven is silent, figuratively, of course. But also understand that the prayers of the saints refer not just to the prayers of the martyrs, but all followers of Christ who pray, come quickly, Jesus. Right which if you're a believer in here, you should be praying that every day. Those of you who still watch the news, After you watch it, you should shut it off and go, come quickly, Jesus. Come quickly, Lord. Put an end to this mess, put an end to all this junk that's going on right now. That should be our prayer every single day. Because see, what Revelation chapter eight, verses three through four shows us is that our prayers are taken seriously by God and they are heard by him. And one of the primary means by which God brings his purposes in history to fulfillment It's through the prayers of the saints. It's through you and I crying out, how long, O Lord, how long? And and there's no clear reason why the silence lasts for about half an hour. The word translated as or about indicates that John's just giving us only an approximation of time, right? So so what happens is, is that we come to the end of the sealed judgments, is that Jesus is actively judging the world right now and he will return one day to bring all of history to its appropriate conclusion. So that's what we've learned, right? So instead of giving us a chronological timeline or here's what happens, here's what happens, here's what happens, John is now going to recapitulate the whole theme of judgment. He's going to go back and, and just go back to some themes that he's already gone through. So we're set up for this by reading of the angel that takes the censer from the altar and he throws it towards the earth. The peals of thunder, the flashes of lightning indicate that this is judgment on the world brought about by God, brought about by his response to the prayers of the martyrs, okay? So how long, oh Lord? And he says, I'll show you, I'm going to judge the world. So look at it this way. We've just finished watching that first tape that I did, okay? We watched the 50-yard line. We're done. We're popping that sucker out, and now we're going to put in the tape from the end zone, right? It's the same game. It's just from a different angle. So verse six, six starts this whole cycle all over again, right? And this time, as we look at the trumpet judgments, what we see is that they increase in intensity. So look at verse six. It says, now the seven angels who had seven trumpets prepared to blow them the first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third, living creature in the, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the night." So the first four trumpet judgments go together just like the first four sealed judgments go together, right? So you had the four horsemen, one judgment. These four trumpets, one judgment. And what I want you to notice is how all these judgments affect the natural world. Notice they touch all the elements of the earth here and now. So you see the earth affected, you see the sea affected, you see the fresh water affected, you see the sky affected. And I don't have time to go into all of this, but check this out. All these judgments mirror those in the Exodus. They're they're very similar to the 10 plagues that God brought about Egypt. So just as the horsemen are on the earth causing havoc, now, listen, so God allows things to happen naturally in this world as a form of judgment. So think about how all these things occur in our world right here, right now. So, so anything from pollution to algal blooms. Think about rogue weather. Think about human error, right? We, we live where the dust bowl occurred. That was human error, right? We got greedy, we plowed up too much in the land, and it just took everything with it. That was human error. The natural world is broken, and you and I see that all around us, right? Think of the Galveston hurricane of 1900. Think of Katrina of 2005. Think of the, the tornado that destroyed Greensburg, Kansas in 2007. So all these things that happen are judgments of God on, on the world. Now, they're only partial Notice it said a third of these things happen. It's just indicating that it's not the final judgment. It's not complete judgment. It's partial judgment. Listen to what Richard Phillips says. This is is so good. He says, remember, Revelation is not a puzzle book. Stop right there. It's not a puzzle book, but a picture book. The general impression is, therefore, most important, hear the four trumpets bring plagues on the natural order of the earth, the seas, the streams, and the stars, and the moon to signify God's judgment on the nations that rise up in idolatry throughout history. These woes are inflicted not by nature. So although they may be natural occurrences, ultimately they're not afflicted by nature, but by God and mankind is completely unable to manage them. This is precisely what a sober view of history shows, with vast portions of the human race suffering and dying at any one time because of these tragedies originating from every part of creation. So let's go back to to January, February when we had that cold snap, right? Right? Because I love what he says right there, is that mankind is completely unable to manage them. So for all of our hubris, all the things that we've accomplished, when the weather comes, we still can't do anything about it, can we? I mean, you think of how many Texans were like, ah, cold snap, man, I got this. Put my cowboy hat on, nothing gonna happen to me. And I get it, up here we were fine because we're tough, we can handle it, we're used to it. You get much further past Lubbock, folks, they aren't used to that kind of cold. And we saw what happened, didn't we? We saw people die, we saw disaster occur. We saw a nuclear power plant that went, man, it's too cold. I gotta shut down. We don't want something bad to happen. This is what we're talking about right here, is that these trumpets are occurring now. We see it naturally, and men and women are powerless to stop it, because ultimately, this is the divine hand of God acting in judgment towards a world who's rejected him, all right? And verse 13 sums up these four trumpets. That's what it says. "'Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying "'with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth. At the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. All right, so the word eagle can also mean vulture. And again, this is symbolic, right? Un- unless you have like an eagle or a vulture at your house that talks. I mean, I'd love to see it. Bring it up here. You probably don't, right? I don't, don't, it doesn't say parrot, okay? So don't, ah, don't give me that. Birds don't literally talk but this is a flesh-eating bird and he's looking down expecting to eat men's flesh as a result of these judgments. His three woes indicate the great judgments in the final three trumpets and what I want you to notice is who are these woes directed at? Those who dwell on the earth. Now, although Christians dwell on the earth, this descriptive phrase of earth dwellers in Revelation refers to unbelievers and to idolaters, to those who have not trusted in Jesus Christ. So these first four trumpet judgments on the natural order are a giant warning sign to unbelievers to repent of their sins. It's a blinking light saying, hey, can't you see what's happening all around you? That God is acting in judgment to this world. And although it's only partial right now, there is a day coming where he will put it all to an end. And so right now, you're being warned to repent and to believe. This is exactly what Paul spoke of in Romans 1.20 when he said that his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so they are without excuse. Right? That we can see all around us those things. And there won't be one of us that say, well, I didn't know. It's not what the Bible tells us. Jeffrey Wilson says, the first four trumpets show that there are no natural disasters in a world that's governed by God. So God intends, when we see natural disasters sweeping the world, when we see major calamities, right? I was thinking of the Sri Lanka uh, tsunami in 2004. That would be a major calamity. We're to be reminded of God's judgment on sin. We are to repent and to believe. Folks, these judgments that that, that we just read about, they're happening right now on this earth. They're here, okay? I, I was thinking about this in terms of like, I'm not like the global warming guy, don't, you know, that's not me. But if you do look at the strange weather patterns that are happening, come on, tell me these aren't God's active judgments against this world right now, all right? So just like the seals, the first four go together, right? So the four horsemen go together with the, four, uh, with, with the four trumpets, right? So you have four and four, and then they're followed by three more. So the trumpets have four, and now we have the next three, and we're going to just look at the first one tonight. So look at Revelation uh, chapter 9. Look at verse 1. Or this morning, right? I'm still in uh, youth pastor mode tonight. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven. To earth, And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. And he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit. And from the shaft arose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth. And they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree. But only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months but to not kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair. And their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings were like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and sting like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as a king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek it is Apollyon. Verse 12 The first woe is past. Behold, two more woes are still to come. So the fifth trumpet blows. We see a star that falls to earth and is given the key to the, pen, to the abyss. So again, first century language. These people were steeped in the first century and not the 21st century, first century. And it's used to describe demonic powers. Jay read this to open up our service today in Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 20. Jesus says, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, this is Jesus, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. See, Jesus was speaking of the process that had already begun in his earthly ministry. Remember, it's not Star Wars, it's not good versus evil. Jesus is saying, I've already won, right? Satan's been cast down. The game's over. I've won. The triumph of my kingdom will triumph over the kingdom of Satan. So the word translated bottomless pit or abyss is used nine times in the New Testament, seven in Revelation, and literally it just means without depth. that there's no bottom to it. It just keeps going and going and going. And what we see that here, it is shown to be blocked by a door to which God alone has the key. And when Jesus, at one point in, in the Gospels, casts out a legion of demons, we get this exchange from the demons in Luke eight thirty one, And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. This is what it's talking about. And so this angel that falls is given a key to the bottomless pit. I want you to notice that. You can highlight that. You can underline that. He's given a key. That's the divine passive being used again in Scripture. God has commissioned, God has authorize this. God has allowed this angel to have a key. This angel didn't take the key. God said, oh yeah, you can have it. Here you go. It's yours. And the abyss is open and smoke pours out. Again, we see an allusion to the exodus plagues as the sun and the sky are darkened. This is pointing to moral darkness in which most of our world is languishing. From the smoke comes locusts, right? Now listen to me. These are demonic beings, not Apache attack helicopters. Okay, they're not. I was eating with a pastor this week in Pampa and he said he remembers sitting in Sunday school being taught that these are Apache attack helicopters. Right? They're not Apache attack helicopters. Again, I've told you we can't make this book mean something to us that it didn't mean to them. So there's no way in the first century that they're looking down the corridor of time going, man, there's gonna be this flying machine with weapons and armor, and it's gonna right fly through the air. That's not what they're thinking. This first century audience would have understood the imagery because they were steeped in the Old Testament. They would have seen the allusions to Exodus, and above all, they would have seen the allusions to the book of Joel, all right? I'm gonna get there in a minute. So again, this is a reference to the plagues of Exodus. Look at Exodus 10, 14 through 15. The locusts came up from all over the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been before, nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened, and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field, though through all the land of Egypt. So these locusts come up, they're told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant. Now listen, there is no contradiction from chapter 8 here, right? Because you're going, well, they said the, the, the trees and the grass and all that was burned up. No, remember, it's partial. It's partial. So there is no contradiction there. Leon Morris says it is a great mistake to read this fiery, passionate, poetic spirit as though he was composing a pedantic piece of scientific prose, He's painting vivid pictures, and it does not matter in the slightest that the details do not harmonize readily. And so what we see is that these locusts are demonic spirits, and they are told to attack unbelievers. So once again, if you're a believer, this should be an encouraging reminder to you, shouldn't it? that God has taken steps to protect his people against the devastating impact of these plagues, that we as believers will never ultimately suffer God's wrath. Now, I'm not saying that you won't go through difficult times. I'm not saying that at times you won't feel like Satan's trying to attack you, but what I am saying is that ultimately God will protect us as believers from these things. That's what it means, okay? That's what this means. And what I want you to notice is that they're limited, That these locusts, these demons, are only allowed to torment people. They're not allowed to kill them. So second, the torment is only allowed to last for so long. There's no explanation for why there's such an odd number. Five months. Like, like, Don't try to figure it out. It it could be that the the locusts have a five-month life cycle. We may never know. But look what the torment is likened to. It says that these locusts torment people, and it's likened to that of a scorpion sting. The word term in Revelation is used for emotional or psychological pain. That's what it's describing, is that these locusts inflict emotional and psychological pain on people. Jesus himself referred to demons as scorpions. Luke 10, 19, Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. He was referring to demonic spirits, okay? Okay. Some people got that wrong and put boxes of snakes on stages and, you know, dance with them. That's not what that means. We used to have them here, but they made me put them up, so. Verse six says that this anguish is any form of psychological suffering that provokes in these people a desire for death. Now, notice what it says. It provokes in them a desire for death, but they don't go through with it. So what John appears to be describing as any emotional and psychological depression, frustration, anger, bitterness, and sense of meaninglessness and lack of value that drives people to the point of utter despair. That's what he's talking about. Anything that would cause a young man to roll into a FedEx facility with a handgun and start mowing down people, right? To, to just give you a, a, a recent example. And what it says is they prefer death, but they lack the courage to take their lives for fear of the unknown beyond the grave. And all of this, he says, is the result of demonic activity like a plague of locusts that's been unleashed on the earth, okay? Now listen to me. Tell me this isn't happening right now. Tell me it's not. People are desperate to find meaning and dignity in this world like never before, aren't they? and they will pursue that in any number of ways. They'll pursue it through hedonism, which means the pursuit of pleasure. Don't Google it, all Right? That's what it means. They'll pursue it through new age movement, through radical feminism, through political agendas, through homosexuality, through drugs, through sexual immorality, through materialism, selfism, wokeism, on and on and on. We could go. Demonic locusts lead them into such pursuits, all of which at the end of the of the day are just empty and lifeless, and there's no meaning in them. I mean, are we not there? Do you not see that happening all around us right now? In the way that people are behaving and the things that are happening to people all over this world. See again, this first century audience would understand this reference because listen, it's ultimately based on Joel chapter one and two where a plague of locusts devastates the land. So it says that a trumpet is sounded to herald their arrival in Joel chapter two. The locusts are said to have the appearance of horses. Joel chapter two, verse four. The locusts in Joel are based on the locust in Exodus 10. Although literal in Exodus 10, the locust in Joel symbolize something beyond themselves. And here, they symbolize demonic spirits unleashed on the earth. Folks, they're here right now. Along with the horsemen, they're causing chaos and havoc all over this world. And listen, we don't see the spiritual world And because we're Baptists, oftentimes we don't want to talk about that stuff, right? Because we just don't believe in that. But C.S. Lewis had a quote that that went something like this, that if we could see the spiritual world all around us right now, we would cower in fear. Like if we could actually see what was happening right now, even in this room as I'm preaching, we would cower in fear with the battles that are being waged, right? And then John describes these demons in verse 7. Look what he says. He says, in appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. Not Apache helicopters, right? Verse 10, they have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as a king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name is Hebrew, is Abaddon, and in Greek it's Apollyon. And in verse 12, the first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still to come. So they are, uh, are like horses preparing for battle. That's just indicating that they're strong, they're swift, they're deadly. They have crowns of gold on their heads, most likely a reference to their sovereign authority to afflict the non-Christian world. Remember, the key was given to the angel. Again, God has authorized this. He's allowing this as a form of judgment. Their faces were like human faces. This is pointing to their intelligence. They had hair like a woman's. Now, most likely, this is alluding to a woman accused of adultery. So, in other words, these demons are seductive. Aren't they always seductive? Sin's always seductive. The things that they get us to chase after, it looks so nice. It looks so pretty. So, so these demons, there's some, like, just weird beauty about them from a distance, I worked with a guy at Wayland one time that he saw a girl and he goes, "Ah, oh, man, she's a blocker. I was like, what the world does that mean? He goes, she looks good from about a block away, right? And that's exactly what we're talking about with these demons, right? So from about a block away, they, they look really, really good, right? Or in our modern vernacular, like she's wearing a mask, but then when she gets closer, she pulls it down, and you're like, oh gosh, right? Because look, as you get closer, she pulls down the mask and you see that this alluring seductive beauty from a distance, they pull it down and all of a sudden they have teeth like lions. They're destructive, they're fearsome. The breastplates of iron, not Apache Tac helicopters, are just saying that they're invulnerable to the attacks of human beings. It says they sound like horses rushing in to battle. Again, similar to Joel chapter two, verse four, that says their appearance is like the appearance of horses and like war horses, they run. Do you see how this is all tied back into the Old Testament? They sting like scorpions. It's a vivid way to show how they torment people. They sting you, it hurts. You wish you were dead, but you're not. And it says that these demons have a king over them. It's the angel of the bottomless pit, which is most likely Satan himself. Remember how Satan masquerades as an angel of light? There's there's a seductive, sick beauty about Satan. The Bible says he's a lion who prowls, seeking to devour, similar to the lion's teeth of these demons. And John sees something that at first appears beautiful, but as you get closer, you see its malicious, wicked intent. And so, folks, listen to me. This is not something that's happening far off in the future. These are all things that are taking place right now on this earth as we speak. I mean, seriously, look at human history since the first coming of Christ, and you can see God's wrath poured out against human sin, idolatry, and immorality. Widespread famines, tornadoes, floods, infectious disease, war, psychological and emotional torment. Our world right now, based on what's happened in 2020, is full of people that are psychologically and emotionally tormented right now. Are they not? I mean, we have snapped people. Had any of y'all see the picture this week of the family under the sheet of plastic hugging the grandmother? Yes, they're covered in a tarp of plastic hugging a woman because they're so psychologically and emotionally tormented over all this stuff, they think they can't touch another human being. This is exactly where we're at right now. This list could go on and on, and that, listen, these things that I just described, that the Bible's just described, will continue, and they will continue with greater intensity as the day draw nears, okay? It's not gonna get any better, guys. It's just going to increase as we get closer and closer to the consummation of all things. So here's what we should do with this, right? Because you're going, oh great, what do I do with this, Byron, all right? Two things. First off, for Christians, if you really believe these things, if you really believe that God is a God of judgment and that he is actively judging this world right now, this means that you should rush into this world and you should tell everybody you can about Jesus Christ. This is a cause for you to be an evangelist. That's what it means, It's that you should tell people that, hey, there's a way to avoid the ultimate final judgment that's coming, and that's by trusting in Jesus Christ, right? In Jude 23, it says that we are to save others by snatching them out of the fire. That is, our job as believers is to tell others about Jesus, to tell them so that they can be shown mercy on the day of wrath. And I've told you this time and time again. That means right here in Spearman, right here in Hansford County, You realize that on any given Sunday, you have probably less than 10% of our population in church right now, right now. That means there is a whole community of people that do not know Jesus. Now they'll tell you they know Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. They've committed to some Bible belt silly moralism that is not the gospel. So we should rush out of this door and tell people about Jesus Christ. But the second thing is that if you're in Christ, listen to me, you've been sealed. You have the Holy Spirit and he has promised to keep you safe in and secure. So listen, we may suffer the effects of the natural world and and we will at times, right? Believers will go through natural disasters and calamities and the judgments that God brings upon this world. But ultimately, we will never endure the wrath of God for Jesus has satisfied God's justice in our place on the cross. And so here in a moment, as we stand to sing our final song, we should stand and sing with all we've got, thanking Jesus for the fact that because of him, we will be able to stand on that day. That because of Jesus, no matter what we face, he's the one who holds us fast. That because of Jesus, we have an anchor for our soul. One of my favorite hymns is a song called Christ the Sure and Steady Anchor. And one of the, one of the, one of the lines says this, Christ the sure and steady anchor through the floods of unbelief. Hopeless somehow, oh my soul, now lift your eyes to Calvary. This my ballast of assurance. See his love forever proved. I will hold fast to the anchor it shall never be removed. That no matter what we face on this earth, we have an anchor that we can hold on to. And on that day, he will prove faithful to us who know Jesus. Amen. And finally, listen, if you're not a Christian, these trumpet judgments should be tornado sirens for your soul. We're entering into thunderstorm, tornado season up here in our part of the world. And when you hear a tornado siren, what do you do? Or at least what I hope you do. You run and take cover, right? You take cover. And so today, would you look around you and see God's wrath is being revealed right now on this earth? It's a very real thing. And he's calling you to reverse course and repent amidst these limited temporal judgments before limitless Eternal judgment at last descends. So the siren's going off. Will you find shelter and protection at the cross of Christ? He's calling. Are you listening? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day and thank you for all that you've given us. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what it teaches us. Um, Father, these judgments that we read about are present right now in our world, they're active. So Father, as believers, I pray that this would spur us on to evangelism, to tell others the good news about Christ. The Bible's, are cl- Bibles clear is that, that how are they to respond unless somebody tells them. So Father, that we would open our mouths and preach the gospel, ultimately trusting in you for salvation. So give us a burden for those in our community, for our, in our county, in our families that do not know you, Jesus, and that they would trust you, to, that we could tell them about you. Uh, Father, for us as believers, help us to know that, that this verse is, these verses are good news for us because if we're in you, we're sealed, we're protected, and that although at times we will endure difficulty from the natural, natural world, at times there will be things that come into our lives that torment us and affect us that ultimately We can stand up and endure under these things because we know that the greatest judgment, your judgment, the final judgment, we've been protected and spared from because of Jesus Christ. Help us to trust him today and to rejoice in that. And then finally, if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you, I pray that today as the gospel was preached, that they would trust you. They would not leave here until they grab me or Joe or a friend and just say, I need Jesus. And that today they could get that fixed and that they could turn and sing and thank you for all that you've done. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?